This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. One last Sunday not being with you in the house as we wrap up the series, A Heart for the House. Today, we have a treat for you. Uh, One of my friends and one of my other friends who happen to be father and son are going to share today. I met John Mike Sell literally on launch Sunday at Vortex Church. John had had been in church that was kind of in the slow decay and decline, moving towards death, and, and, and he kind of had disengaged and made a plan to be at our church on launch Sunday and fell in love with it. And uh, those of you who don't know, John didn't come to our church as a pastor. He came just as one of you guys just sitting out in the the seat, and and he was one of the first people to kind of lean in and say, hey, I want to help. And he pulled me aside one day and he said, Kevin, my dad's a pastor. I know what it's like. I want you to know I'm here to help you. So I said, your dad's a pastor. I'd love to meet him. I'd love to hang out with him. How long has he been a pastor? And he's been a pastor for decades, and John grew up in his house, and he saw the tension that happens in a lot of church situations. And John had this, this passion, even though he grew up in the house and seeing all the ugly stuff in the house, he had a passion for that. I was like, I want to meet the guy that raised his son. That does. And so we sat down one day. I got to have lunch with Pastor Dwight Mikesell. We sat down, and, and decades of ministry experience, and he said, Kevin, why are we having this lunch? And I, I said, Pastor Dwight, like you have decades of ministry experience. Like you, you have faithfully pastored this church and this church. I, I just want to learn from you. And he looked at me in, in the, one of the most authentically humble moments I've, I've ever seen. He said, Kevin, if there's anybody that needs to learn from somebody at this table, it's me learning from you. Through the years as I've gotten to know Dwight Mike Sell, that, that's exactly who I've gotten to know. Someone who is so authentically encouraging and humble. Uh, he is a Tar Heel fan. Praise the Lord. Okay. And I am so thankful that even though he just retired from ministry just a a few weeks ago, after faithfully running that race, today him and his son John are going to share with us. Think about this. Decades of ministry. Two sons, both now as adults, faithfully serving in their church. What a heart. For the house, today we get to hear from Dwight Mikesell and John Mikesell. Would you welcome them to the stage? Well, thank you, and good morning. Like you said, my name is Pastor John. This is my dad, Pastor Dwight. And I just want to take a moment and honor our pastor, my pastor, Pastor Kevin. I'm, I'm thankful that we have a pastor. I'm thankful I've got a friend like Kevin who, through this season, it hasn't been easy, but, but he's just 
He, he went forward with what God has called him to do and continued in the mission that God has called him. And in this past week, I'm thankful that he had a chance to be able to get away, get some rest. He spent some time with some other pastors. And during that time, he, he was able to give us the chance to be on stage and trusted us to be here. So thank you, Pastor Kevin, for giving us this opportunity. And I want to take a minute and introduce my family. Most of you know me, but a lot of you probably don't know my family. This is my family right here. That's my beautiful wife, Erin. In the middle, she's starting her 16th year at Central as an elementary teacher, and if you see her today, tell her happy birthday. She hit the big 4-0 this week, so welcome to the 40 Club. And then this is my boy Colton. Uh, he's going into eighth grade this year, and, and he loves school, loves math, loves soccer. That's his passion right now in the fall. And then my little girl Cammy, she's my sidekick. She comes in every Sunday morning with me at about 6.30, 7 o'clock to be here to help get things set up, and softball is what her passion is right now. So I'm thankful for my family, thankful that they – allow me to be able to do what I do, and I couldn't do this without their support and their love, so thank you guys for that. And I'm thankful to be here with my dad, and my mom's out here in the crowd today as well. So they, um, 47 years in the ministry, uh, two weeks ago was your last Sunday up in Pennsylvania, on their way to Florida right now, started at age 18. So what, what a blessing, what a, a, a just a, a great role model to see my parents as I got to grow up and be in that kind of a household. And you'll get to hear some of those stories today, but dad, is there anything you want to share before we get started? I just want to agree with John on thanking Pastor Kevin for the opportunity to be here, uh, the very kind introduction that he gave today. And also when I arrived yesterday, I was surprised with a, a, a very nice, I can't just say a gift, it was multiple gifts. And I just want to thank Pastor Kevin for making that possible and for his staff who put it together and provided that for us. We greatly Greatly appreciate that. And to thank you as a congregation for your generosity, because if you didn't support Vortex with your generosity, they wouldn't be able to make guests feel so welcome and so honored. And so we appreciate that very much. And again, Pastor Kevin, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. And, and as we get started, we're in week four of our Heart for the House series. And today I want to talk on the topic of what it means to run the race. But before we do that, I want to just kind of recap. We've had three amazing speakers over the past three weeks that have shared with us on the topic of a heart for the house. In week one, Pastor Corey reminded us that we need to have a passion for his house, for God's house, a passion to be here in the church. And then week two, Pastor Eric reminded us of God's love, that it's an agape love. It's not a love that we love him so he loves us back, but he is love. There's nothing that we can do to earn it or nothing we can do to push it away, but that God loves us. And then in week three, just last week, Pastor Jonathan shared with us on the topic that for the church is for me, but it's not about me. And too many times we put ourselves in the middle of that, but it's for us. It's important to be here, but the house is really about Jesus. And today I want to kind of compile these three together and focus on what it takes to run the race, but not just run this race, but to run the race to finish strong. And through, like, my dad's story of 47 years of ministry, we're going to get to see what it's like running this race through different seasons of our life. But I want to point us to Hebrews 12.1 as we get started. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Not just run this race, but run it with perseverance. And I want to just ask you guys, Throughout this talk, four questions that I want to just kind of challenge you and encourage you on what it takes to run the race. And the first one is this, is why is the church worth a lifetime 
of your investment. Why is the church worth a lifetime of your investment? Because being a believer and being in the church is an investment. Serving God is an investment. It, it takes our time. It takes our energy, our resources. It takes our talents. It takes determination. It takes being ridiculed at times, maybe even by family members or by coworkers or neighbors. And, and it takes us giving up our desires to follow the desires of God that are so much better than what our desires could ever be. And the value in this investment, what is it? What is the value of this investment? And I, I want to just caution you guys on this. Do, do we make this a worldly investment, or do we make this investment for it to be an eternal investment? And there's two scriptures I want to point us to that got us kind of in that direction to let us know whether or not this should be a worldly or an eternal investment. The first one says that by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw, for their work, it will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So it shows us in there to use caution. Because we could use this to gain worldly value, worldly possessions, make this about us. But it says to be careful because that will be tested at the end. The fire will bring it to light. But we also see that it says that I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but to press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, and press forward to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In Philippians, we see that it says that this is an eternal goal, that we're pressing forward towards the goal, towards the prize that is heavenward. So we need to be careful as we run this race that we keep the focus on Jesus and not the focus on ourselves. And my parents have truly, it's been a lifetime of investment for them. My dad started at age 18 in his first church. My mom was 20. I, I was nowhere near ready to be leading anything at age 18. And, and my dad stepped in to lead a church, was going to school. My mom was helping him through that. And then 47 years through that ministry and now stepping in to retirement. It truly has been a lifetime of an investment for an eternal reward for them. So, Dad, through your life as a believer, and now as you begin your retirement, why has the church been a lifetime, worth the lifetime of your investment? Well, I had the privilege of having a front row seat of watching what the local church has meant to my family for four generations and, and the drastic change that the grace of Jesus Christ brought into our family stream. My grandfather, uh, back during the 1920s and into the Great Depression of the 1930s, was what he was known as in his time as being a mean drunk. Uh, we would fancy it up a little bit, make it a little bit more politically correct and say he was an abusive alcoholic. But no matter what you called it, uh, he used the resources of the family to feed his own vices. And uh, he, he set a bad reputation in the community for the name Michael. My dad, d during his years growing up, uh, did not ever want to be like his father. 
but he came home from World War II in the mid-40s, and he had picked up all of the vices that he saw his father do and that he had promised himself and promised his mother he would never do, but he had them. And uh, so when he came home, he was heading down the wrong path, the, the same path that his father had taken. But his mother wanted to go to church, and my dad loved his mother. And so he would take her to church. And uh, you go into this small church that was a, a new church plant, and uh, he would sit in the back. He didn't, he didn't want to be there, but he wanted to provide transportation for his mother. He sat in the back. He heard the gospel. He responded to the grace of Jesus Christ and was saved and radically transformed. The reason I, I want to emphasize that, it's, it wasn't just a profession of faith and asking Jesus to forgive his sin, but he was radically transformed. All the vices that he had picked up and all the vices that he had seen in his father were gone. Never again did he touch any of those things that were so destructive in his father's life. And uh, when he became, uh, when he went there to that church, he met a young lady who later became his wife and my mother, who was a Christian woman, and they established a Christian home. What a radical change between one generation and the very next generation. And I was raised in a Christian home. I was born in Pennsylvania in December, and within two weeks of being born, I was in church. And during my years growing up, hardly ever missed church. And I, was, I had the impact of that local church, the same church where my dad was saved is the church I grew up in. And I was saved there. And growing up there, going to Sunday school classes, youth group, and all those kinds of things, it impacted my worldview as I came to adulthood. It was that local church that set in me that worldview. Thanks, Dad. And we can see right there that this eternal reward that we're striving towards, it doesn't just impact us individually. It, it impacts future generations. And there's many of us in this room, us on stage included, that one generation made a decision to put Jesus at the center of their lives and has impacted future generations. And it will still continue to impact future generations. And the second question I, I want to ask us today is, how do you stay committed through the different seasons of life? Because we're going to go through a lot of different seasons. M many of you have known, that obviously, this last season has not been the easiest for us, but this hasn't been the, t the first tough season that we've gone through. But we go through some good seasons, and we go through some bad seasons. So we need to remember that as we navigate this, that in this room today, just think about it for a minute. We got people in here who are single, some who are married, some have kids, some don't have kids. Some of you have just got a new job, maybe lost a job. Maybe you stepped into starting your own job, or, or maybe you've had a family member who has passed away, or maybe you've moved away or decided you need to change some of your friends, or maybe you've been diagnosed with an illness. There's so many reasons that, that these different seasons, they can be good, and, and some of these seasons can be very challenging. But I love the way that, that Pastor Kevin has shared several times that, that he's reminded us that that's what they are is their seasons, that there's a, a good season, and then there's times that there's a challenging season but it's just a season. In those good seasons, we, we need to rejoice and be thankful for those good seasons. And in those challenging seasons, we need to trust God to allow him to guide us through that season because we know that, that he wants good for us and there's a lesson and there's something good that we can gain 
out of that season. So today I want to remind you that no matter what season you're going through, that we serve a God who loves us and wants to guide us through any season that we face. There's no season that is too tough for God to guide us through. And as I was preparing for this message, I was reading through the book of Ephesians, and Paul was talking to a church in Ephesus, and they were going through a challenging season at that time. And I feel that the words that Paul spoke to them to comfort them, I feel that they can be some comfort to us today. In Ephesians 3, 17, it says that I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We're going to go through dark days. We're going to go through times of trouble, but we're also going to experience times of joy. And throughout my life, I've seen my parents experience both. I've watched them handle different situations. Some of them, they may not have felt that they handled those situations the best, but we can only do what, what God calls us to do. But in the end, there's one thing that I never saw them do, and that was waver from their faith as they navigated these seasons. There was a lot of prayer that went in to these different seasons of their life. And Dad, today, how have you and Mom been able to handle the different seasons of your life as a believer and as a pastor? Well, as John just said, it's, it's not always easy, and, and nobody does it perfect. Uh, there's many times that... Uh, I would lay in bed at night and things racing through my mind uh, and, and not being able to sleep because of the, of the pain and, and the difficulty of the season. But uh, that's no call for us to step down or step away. God is able to bring us through. And some of the things that helped me uh, to remain strong in the difficult times was remembering my call. I, I was called to the ministry when I was 16 years old. And or, well, he may have called me before that. That's when I responded to his call. But uh, I was just a I was a normal 16 year old boy. I loved sports, uh, involved in sports as, as much as I could. I liked girls and had girls on my mind at 16 years old. And uh, of course, going to school and and I think God just had to set me aside for a while uh, so he could get my attention. And I injured my back right at the beginning of wrestling season in my junior year, and I wasn't able to wrestle. And by the end of that school year, my back had deteriorated to the point where I had to go to the hospital. And back in those days, they treated it with, uh, with traction. And I was in the hospital for 16 days. 13 of those days, my feet were not allowed to, to uh, touch the floor. And uh, God had a good opportunity to talk to me. And he spoke to me through his word. He spoke to me through what was at that time contemporary music. It was Some of it was just written that year or a year or two before that. And I remember laying there in that bed as, as God's Spirit spoke to me, not verbally, but in my heart. I knew what he was saying to me and tears running back toward my ears, not down my cheeks because I was flat on my back. It would flow down to my ears as, as I responded to God's call upon my life. And my grandmother, my dad's mother that started this whole process by getting my dad to go to church, uh, ended up in the hospital herself a few months after I responded to God's call. And I remember going to the hospital and uh, taking a little New Testament along and telling her in that hospital room that I had responded to the call of Christ to be a minister and uh, 
read a little scripture and had a word of prayer with her, and that was my first uh, public uh, declaration uh, and acknowledgement of my call to ministry. Another thing that has helped me through all these years is that God has given me a godly wife. We met at 16 years old, and like I said, I was a normal 16-year-old, and I would have, I was weak, really, in, in my own faith and determination to serve the Lord, and I'd have been open if, if I would have had a, a girlfriend who wasn't saved, I could have gone the wrong way, or someone who was a Christian, but they weren't strong in their faith, uh, that wouldn't have helped me. But God created a person just for me who was strong in the faith and helped me. And at 18 years old, we were married and started a ministry together. And I was in Bible college, and she worked, put me through uh, college. And she's been a powerful uh, influence on my life uh, all through these years. Jane's been my partner in ministry and my partner in life. Very seldom do you see us separated from one another very, very long at all. And we established a Christian home. And uh, God gave us two sons. And I remember the, the, the sense of responsibility that came upon us at that time. And we bring those little babies home from the hospital and, and get down on the floor next to the little bed that we had prepared for them. And uh, we would pray and, and dedicate them to the Lord right there in our home and, and cry and, and beg God to give us wisdom to know how to take care of these new lives that he had brought into our lives. And so through the years, I always thought about the impact that any failure that I would have, failure in ministry or moral failure or, or even an integrity failure, how that would impact my sons, and, and that helped me. And now with my own grandchildren in these later years of my life, uh, to turn away from following God, uh, the impact that that would have if, if I had a any kind of a, a failure. And so it's always been my purpose to model integrity. Nobody's perfect in that, but that's been my goal and, and my purpose in, in life. Thanks, Dad. And, and we can see in there that there's different seasons that we're going to go through. There's different seasons that are going to be easy and then different seasons that are going to be challenging. But, but if we continue to put our trust in God, he's going to guide us and help us through those seasons. And the, the third question that I want to ask us today is, how do you stay committed when you feel let down by the church and let down by people in the church? And, and this is a topic that has probably impacted every single one of us in this room. And at some point, it, it may even be right here at Vortex. And to be honest, I may be the reason that you may have been hurt. But I want to just remind you guys that the church, the big C, the global church is full of imperfect people. None of us in this room None of us in this world are perfect. The only one that is perfect is Jesus. And there's going to be times that mistakes are going to happen, that feelings are going to get hurt. But we need to remember that no matter what, we need to continue to do our best. But we need to understand that even in the church, that there's going to be times that we're going to get hurt. But we need to make sure that we're using grace towards those around us. And most of the time, that as people come into church, the statistics shows that somewhere around 7 to 10 minutes, that when someone arrives at church, that they've already made up their decision of whether or not they're going to come back. That's long before we do worship. That's long before the message is ever preached. That involves the welcoming that they feel as they come in. And that's just not, as pastors or staff, as we welcome people, that's not our amazing volunteers that greet people. That is every single person 
in this room's responsibility is to welcome people as they come in, whether you're at the coffee station, getting your coffee, sparking a conversation with somebody, or maybe you're at kids' check-in and the iPads went down again. How you handle that, the frustration level that you have, or maybe you're just like, you know what, guys, it's, it's going to be okay. How we do that, how we welcome people makes a difference as they step in to the house of God. And I, I love this quote from Herbert Cooper, and it says, the church is full of people. Some people will hurt you. A lot of people are here because they want to help you. Don't focus on the hurt. Focus on the help. The church is for hurt people. The church is for sick people. And we need to be there to encourage and to help. There are Sundays that I walk in that I need your smile to encourage me. Every single person that walks in, we need to love people and encourage people. We're going to get hurt. That's going to happen. We're human. But we need to be willing to use grace and to focus on the help that God has called us to do. And in 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9, it says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And I just want to leave that verse up there just for a second. I like how it says to be like-minded. It doesn't say be the same. It says to be like-minded. If we were all the same, it, it, it wouldn't be a whole lot of fun, I promise you. But to be like-minded, to be on the same mission, the same vision, the same journey to put Jesus at the center of our lives and to invite people into that journey and to be sympathetic and love one another, compassionate, humble. I don't know about you guys, but those are the four toughest ones for me to do, especially when I've been hurt, is to be compassionate and to love others. But the easy part of it is to repay evil with evil or insult with insult. But God says to repay evil with a blessing. And just imagine how somebody would react if even though they hurt you, that you turn around and you show compassion and you love them, just them being able to see a glimpse of the love of Jesus in that. Because God calls us to love. That's what God calls us to do. God is love, and he calls us to love. We are able to be the love of God to the people that we have influence in. And it doesn't mean we're going to agree with everything. I, I promise you that's not going to happen. We're going we're gonna to agree to disagree sometimes. But we, we need to remember to see it through God's eyes and to see those situations with grace. And as I grew up, I was in several of the churches that my dad pastored going through elementary and middle school and high school. And, and, and I saw many times that, that people were, would treat them very well. And I, I saw times that, that they wouldn't get treated well at all. But I was able to, to watch how they handled those situations. Because many of you that know me, that, that if I see family getting hurt, like I want to step in. Like I want to bow up and I want to get in front of my dad and my mom. And I want to take some of those, those arrows from them. But I knew that wasn't what I needed to do, that I needed to, to show grace. And I knew that because of the example that I had watched my parents do as they handled these situations. So, so that is, as you went through ministry, how were you able to handle the situations maybe when you were hurt by the church or hurt by people in the church? Well, first of all, I have to acknowledge that when you're hurt by people, it hurts. And you feel the pain. And sometimes you don't always respond exactly well. And you think about, oh, I should have said this, or I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have used that tone. So nothing is perfect. And I don't want to in this message, make you think, well, if you just follow these three simple principles, everything is going to work out fine. It doesn't always work out that way. But some of the things that have helped me in being able to overcome those 
is to remember who I'm serving and trying to please. I'm trying to serve Jesus and please him, not people. Now, naturally, I'm a people person, and I like for people to like me and to uh, say that I'm doing well or whatever. And sometimes people just don't do that, and they do the exact opposite, and that hurts. And so I have to remember that I'm there to serve Jesus, not people. And I'm also reminded that Jesus loves the church. These people that just hurt me are people that Jesus died for. It's, it's people that he loves. It, it's my calling from God to be the conduit of love to these people, to let them know of Jesus' love. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I, I just want to share a little bit about a, a season in, in my life where I really almost gave up on ministry. Because, I, again, I want you to understand it's not always easy, and I didn't handle it perfectly. But uh, my first seven years of ministry, I was in, in this church that I started at 18 years old, and they just took us in and loved us. And if you'd have walked in on any given Sunday and say, hey, what did the pastor do wrong since he's been here? Most of them would have said he didn't do anything wrong. When I would have failures and I had to come in with these great plans and, and they didn't work, they didn't say, well, we shouldn't have tried that. They'd say, what are we doing next? And they, it was good. The next church I went to was exactly the opposite. You could have walked in on any given Sunday morning and say, uh, what did the pastor do right? Well, he doesn't do anything right. Everything he does is wrong. And, uh, and so that was stressful. And uh, as I went through that stress, that back injury I told you about when I was 16 uh, flared up again. And it was about 12 years later. And uh, I ended up in the hospital twice in the same winter. Uh, from back pain that was aggravated by stress. And, and I was in the wrong culture for me in that church and in that community. They were people that uh, they, they already knew what they liked and what they wanted, and they weren't going to change. And uh, I felt that the church was there to minister to lost people. And they didn't mind ministering to lost people as long as the lost people agreed with everything they wanted. But they weren't going to change anything to try to reach lost people, and that was totally against my own sense of calling, and it didn't go well. I became depressed. Uh, it was in the mountains of Pennsylvania, and some of you might say, well, mountains are beautiful. Not in the fall when you're depressed. When the leaves fall and the barren rocks show out and you look out your window and it just looks bland. It's more depressing when you're depressed. And during that time, a friend came to visit me, and he saw what I was going through, and of course, I shared stories of what was happening, and he said, Dwight, your calling and your ministry is bigger than this one church. Don't stay here and let them kill your ministry, and at that point, I was just about ready to give up, and uh, with his encouragement, I made a big change in my life, went to a, a different church, and moved about 700 miles to Atlanta, Georgia, and, and got a fresh start, and actually, there, there have been some things that have happened since then that were actually worse than what happened in that little Pennsylvania town. But God had used that initial experience to help me to mature. And thankfully, I've been able to respond better in the later years than what I had before that. I'll just give you a quick example. I've pastored six churches in the first four. Uh, I, I've had four churches in 18 years. 
and the last two churches have covered 29 years. And so I, I've been able to, to deal with that and kind of expect that uh, along the way. And uh, I hope that's an encouragement to you wherever you are at this point, that the pain can help you to grow and mature and develop and that you can handle it better in the future. That's so good. Thanks, Dad. And, and as Pastor Kevin has said before, that, that a test that God gives us, we can turn that test into a testimony. We just saw that right there, that the test that God puts us through and that he allows us to go through those to give us strength, to allow us to help other people through that journey. So whatever you're in, let God work through you and turn that test into a testimony. And, and the, the fourth question I want to ask us today is, how do you cultivate a heart for his house when your heart isn't doing well? And we know that there's seasons that are going to be tough, that our heart's not in the right place. And some of you may be in one of those seasons right now, or you may be coming out of a season that has been challenging or if you're in a good season, be ready because there's going to be some challenging seasons that are going to come ahead. But we all know that life isn't easy at times. But when we're not doing well physically or mentally or emotionally, that those are the hardest seasons to truly want to have a heart for the house. Those aren't the times that, that we want to come in to church. Those are the times we want to stay home. We want to stay isolated. We don't want to be around people. But to be honest, those are the seasons that we need to be in the house the most. Those are the seasons that we need to be in God's house. He calls us to come in. We're his sons and daughters, and he wants us to come home so that he can help us, so that he can heal us. So when we're experiencing those struggles, don't, don't isolate. Don't be alone because we can't do this on our own. That's not the answer. But I want to I show us two quick scriptures in Psalms. The first one, Psalm 38, says, Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord, my God. And in Psalm 86, it says, when I am in distress, I will call on God that, that because you answer me. And so we, we need to understand that when we go through these times, don't, don't isolate, don't push God away, but we need to lean in to what God can do for us because he is the only one that can save us. We, we saw through those stories that, that people are going to let us down. We need people, but people are going to let us down. God's the only one that can truly save us, the only one that is perfect that can help him help us through that. So right now, I just want to just let you guys know that I know a lot of the stories in your life because of the relationship that I have with you. And you guys are such a huge encouragement to me to know that you're going through arguably the toughest season of life that you'll ever go through. And you continue to lean into your faith, not to lean into fear, but to step in to what God has called you to do, to be here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and allow God to work with you as you navigate these seasons, that is such an encouragement for me to be able to see that you are doing this because we need God and we need people around us. And that's what this community is. That's what this church is. We call it a church family for a reason because we are family. We need people around us to help us and we need to be in God's presence. And I've watched my parents go through a lot over the years, uh, personally and in the churches that they've been in. I've, I've watched them lose both of their parents, my grandparents, one of the toughest seasons was watching my dad lose his dad. And four weeks later, turn around and my cousin committed suicide. And that season was tough. I've watched them lose friends, members of their church that they loved. I've watched them navigate seasons of financial struggles. But one thing I've never watched them do was lose their faith and lose what God had called them to do because they knew that God was going to help them through whatever season they were going through. 
And even today, I don't know if you guys saw, there's a U-Haul parked out there by Food Lion with a car on the back. That's theirs. Right now, they're homeless. They, they sold their house on Thursday in Pennsylvania. The truck's here. After lunch today, we're going to continue on to Florida, and, and they're buying a house tomorrow to begin retirement. That, that's running the race right there, guys, and that's, that's running it with perseverance. So, Dad, I want to ask you today, how have you been able to cultivate a heart for the house even when your heart isn't doing well? Well, when our heart isn't doing well, it affects our emotions, and emotions shift and change. Our feelings are not a good basis to build our life on because they're constantly changing. They can change many times throughout a day. And, and so as I think back through my ministry, I'm human, and I don't always feel good, and there's these tough seasons. And there were times that I really didn't want to go to church. I didn't feel like going to church. But I went to church. I'm the pastor. You know, you have to show up. And, uh, you know, I showed up, at, but the Holy Spirit showed up as well. And I would go home after church feeling better than I did when I went. And, and he always showed up for me. And, and when you stay away from church, it's easier to continue to stay away. When you come to church, uh, you're reminded of the value of the church. But when you stay away, it's easier for you to forget how valuable the church is. And, and some of the values that I think of when, when you come and you gather together for worship, when the Holy Spirit shows up in the gathering, it impacts you spiritually, physically, emotionally, and psychologically. And, and we need that together as, as a body of Christ to, to gather together. But also in, in our small groups and, and getting involved with a few close friends and being able to share our hurts and, and our hopes and to be able to learn how to practice our faith. Uh, you may not ever have the opportunity to stand on this platform and lead in prayer. You may never be given an opportunity to share your story, but you get together with a few uh, friends and you can learn how to put your prayers into words and to verbalize your prayers uh, with others. Uh, you, you're able to share your story. You don't need a platform and a microphone. You just sit there in someone's living room and you share what God is doing or has done for you. The scripture says that iron sharpens iron, and in that group, you are helping others to grow, and they're helping you to become better and grow in your faith. And if you're a parent today, where else in the world can you go and have someone volunteer to take care of your children, to teach them about Jesus, to pray for them? and encourage them, and pray for them at no cost, no pay. They just are willing to love them, and they love them for Jesus. Now, why would you want to stay away from such a place? We want to be there. And, and you might say, well, I'm, I'm older. My kids are grown. I, I'm a grandparent. Well, you have grandchildren that are watching you. And they'll see your life and, and your commitment to the church. And you can have an influence on them. And you want to do that by being faithful to the church. Another reason why I've been able to persevere is because Mike's old men have a we won't quit attitude. 
my wife and others that I could mention, but I'm not going to this morning, call that being stubborn. I like the word perseverance better. But my dad, from the end of World War II, when he came home in his middle 20, or early 20s, through age 70, he only ever had two jobs. He retired at 70 years old. At that, during that same time in the local church, he taught an adult Bible study for 50 years. Some people volunteer, and they say, well, I've been doing it three years. I need a break. 50 straight years that he taught that class. When I was uh, in seventh grade, I went out for the basketball team, and I was as wide as I was tall. I looked like a basketball. And, and surprise of all surprises, I got cut from the team. But that was my team. I didn't want to quit. I didn't want to leave. So I volunteered to be an equipment manager. And I carried the, bag ball, uh, the ball bag in. And, and I gathered up the towels after the players had wiped their sweat on it and, and the medical kit and all of those things just so I could be with my team. Now, the next year, it was time to sign up again. And I signed up to be a wrestler. And, and I did that throughout the, the, the coming years. But I didn't want to quit my team. Uh, my son. James, uh, John's brother, uh, has had the same job for about 20 years and is, is continuing in that job. I noticed that uh, John was not an ordinary child when he was four years old. I mean that in all the best ways. We were living in Atlanta, Georgia, and they had a large garden, and uh, uh, we would be out there picking the vegetables together, uh, pulling weeds and all that. And the church had enough property that they had rented out some land to a neighbor veterinarian, and he had horses in this field. And there was a gate right next to the garden, and we would have it open, and we would take the weeds in there. And uh, I said to John, uh, John, close the gate. And the gate was taller than he was, and it had a little rope attached to it. And he went over, he grabbed the rope, moved it a few inches, and fell down the, the uh, momentum of his pull, just he fell down. He got back up, he grabbed the rope, moved it a few more inches, and he fell down. He got back up, and he continued that whole process until he got the gate closed. I said to my wife, I said, this is a boy that ha has a strong will, and we're going to have to really guide him because there's only two, th there's no middle of the road for this boy. He's either, he's either going to turn the world upside down for Jesus or he's going to go to prison for most of his life. I didn't go to prison. He didn't go to prison. And today, I get to be here while he's doing his part to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And what a privilege that is for me to do. And then our grandson, Colton, uh, two years ago now, I guess, uh, he was getting ready to transition from elementary school to middle school. And my wife was very concerned about that transition. And she was texting back and forth with him. I don't know everything that was said in the conversation. But at one point, Colton just said, Mamaw, you don't have to worry. I'm going to love Jesus forever. I'm always going to love Jesus. And he's a Michael man. I believe he's going to do that. Now, there's no question about whether Jesus is going to love you or not. He will always love you. The question is, are you going to be faithful in loving him? No matter what else is going on in my life, I have a high value for the gathering 
of God's people, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. It's a place where I can benefit from the use of other people's gifts. It's a place where I can use my gifts and ability and where I am encouraged in the word of God. Someone asked me the question, what's the greatest thing that you learn from COVID? During that time, my asthma doctor, I have severe asthma, and that's part of the reason why I'm retiring at this point, recommended and directed me to go to a southern climate in the winter for uh, six weeks each winter. So the last two years, I've done that. And I was there by myself. No, no one knew what I was doing. But when Sunday came, I wanted to go to church. And it was about a, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. Shouldn't have mentioned asthma. But um, every Sunday morning, I'd get up and drive 45 to 50 minutes to go to a church that I, I knew some people there and I, I wanted to go there. And, and I could have stayed in the room and I could have watched my own church online, but I wanted to be with the gathering of God's people. And one of the things that I learned about myself after all these years going to church because my parents took me, going to church because I was a pastor and I needed to be there, that when I had the option, I wanted to be in the place where God's people were gathered to worship. And I want to encourage you this morning, keep doing what you're doing now. Gather together with God's people. and Worship the Lord and be persistent. Don't give up. and God will bless you for it. Thanks, Dad. And as we close out today, I just I want to remind you that we're going to go through different seasons. Some are going to be tough and some are going to be easy. But the easy seasons, they're easy. We can come to church, put a smile on, we can be happy. But those seasons that are challenging, those seasons that are tough, that we continue to put a priority on Jesus being at the center of our lives, that's when we have our biggest impact. That's when we have our biggest influence in the lives of those that are watching us, our kids, our spouses, our family, our friends. So I want to encourage you guys today that, that when life gets tough, that, that don't give up. We've seen that through, through my parents' journey. Don't give up on what God has called you to do. It may not be to be a pastor, but every job you have is your mission field. You have influence in people's lives that will never step foot into this church. But you can have an impact for eternity in their lives. And in Isaiah 40, 28, it says, The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths will grow tired and weary, and young men will stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I want to encourage you today that you're not alone. That whatever season it is you're going through, that God loves you and that God cares deeply for you. And he wants what's best for your life. So I encourage you today to run the race. But don't just run the race. Run the race strong. Finish it strong. Run with perseverance. In a way, not trying to gain a worldly reward, but in a way to earn a reward that is heavenward, that is eternity, and that we can invite people to come along on this journey with us. 
Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.